0: It's time now for our Washington Report, where we take a look at headlines out of the United States. This morning, you had heard that uh, top Republican Kevin McCarthy is set to meet with U.S. President Joe Biden this Wednesday. We'll find out more about that. They are likely to discuss uh, avoiding a U.S. debt default, uh, warning that the president must rethink his refusal to consider spending cuts in exchange for raising the borrowing limit. Plus, uh, we also saw former U.S. President Donald Trump open his 2024 run. More details on that as well. On the line with me this morning is Dane Shamaro, who is partner, Global Risk and Intelligence Control Risks. Good morning, Dane good morning how are you today very good sir thank you so much for helping me out with this I suppose let's start off with what's happening domestically in the United States the u.s debt ceiling issue uh, the Republican-controlled house is demanding spending cuts as a concession for extending the debt ceiling um, Dane do you see any possibility of uh, President Biden giving in uh, given the experience uh, from back in 2011 that was when uh, the u.s. suffered its first credit downgrade uh, the consumer and business confidence was also rattled as a result of that.
1: Yeah, I, I think, look, this is a classic game that is played when, when one house or one party controls one house and they want to get leverage over the other. And so I don't think this is unexpected. I think it will mean, you know, more negotiation, obviously, more give and take than would have been the case had the Democrats still controlled the House. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a game of politics. And I know that, you know, it tends to unrattle or it tends to rattle the markets a little bit when, when this issue particularly comes up, you know, given the implications it can have, but I suspect what they'll probably do is kind of take it down to the wire, which has happened several times now, mm-hmm. and then they'll they'll strike some kind of deal that will allow, you know, allow the, the government to continue functioning, if you will.
0: Right. So an unlikely sort of a debt ceiling vote.
1: Yeah, exactly. So they'll, you know, they have to, this is debt that's already been incurred, right? So mm. at some point they have to increase the ceiling, what they'll, what the Republican Party will extract in you know in in to to get the deal done will be you know probably spending cuts in some of the areas that they uh, you know find uh, politically offensive things like um, entitlement programs and things like that and so it'll just be a, you know a back and forth like. Frankly, like everything has become, uh, particularly when you have, you know, one a divided Congress, one one party controlling one house, the other controlling the other, everything becomes a negotiation, right? Almost everything, with with some exceptions.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dane, now, um, we're hearing the GOP-led committees plan to issue subpoenas in Biden probes without uh, first consulting the Democrats. Obviously, this is mm-hmm. going to have an impact to that whole 2024 presidential run. What are your thoughts on mm-hmm. this and and the Biden administration?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they knew it was going to be tough going again when, when, you know, you lose one house to the opposition party. It was pretty well telegraphed that they were going to, the Republican Party would uh, issue subpoenas around some of the issues that the Biden administration has been dealing with. You know, the, the Biden administration had a pretty good first, you know, first half, first two years. They got some things passed. And now, you know, I suspect that what will happen is you'll have two years of gridlock. And I think it's it's important to keep in mind that while a lot of people see that and they say, oh, you know, it's terrible, there's gridlock, <clears throat> actually, some business sectors prefer gridlock good, good at the national level in Washington, you know, particularly those sectors that are heavily regulated. So if you think about financial services and energy, you know, they actually don't mind having a bit of gridlock in Washington because it tends to mean that the regulation, that it's very difficult to pass new regulation, right? And I think it's really also important to keep in mind that a lot of what happens in the U.S. happens at the state level. And I think people sometimes forget that, particularly here in Washington, when everybody's consumed by what happens in the White House, what happens in Congress. But, you know, as a federal in a federal system like ours, actually some really big changes happen at the state level, including those that affect business. And that's what we see, you know, uh, challenging a lot of our our clients.
0: Okay. Um, so, yes, I've also seen how the Biden administration has been shouting out of uh, their first uh, two years and everything they've accomplished. Unfortunately, he's got investigations uh, with regard to having classified documents in his home. Does this put his candidacy or, or nomination, a potential nomination, uh, is it in question even? Is he the best candidate when you consider his age as well? Yeah so the classified document
1: thing is a gift that gives to all right and then you've right. seen a number of a number of individuals you know be challenged by that same issue right mm. so i don't think that will necessarily impact him as much as some other things for example immigration illegal immigration which is a huge issue in the united states and i think often gets overlooked outside of parts of the country and abroad inflation you know those things will be really the things that come to challenge him in the run up to 2024 I think, you know, the, the question is being asked within the Democratic Party, you know, is is he the best person to lead us in another term? As you said, given his age, the the trick is that it's very hard to run against a sitting president from within your own party, mm. right? And so, if at some point he decides not to run, let's just say that that happens, then it kind of opens the field for, for other people to compete, but before he does that and if he doesn't do that, then it's very difficult for people who might have that desire, such as Gretchen Whitmer in in Michigan or others who would be, uh, you know, qualified and kind of constantly top the the polls to run against him as a sitting president. So in a way, he hampers his own party by or or aspirants within his own party by, you know, either choosing to run again or not announcing to the last minute whether he will or he won't.
0: Mm. We also saw U.S. President Donald Trump uh, kick off his uh, 2024 White House bid. Um, I believe he had Mm. stops in New Hampshire, South Carolina over the weekend. What are your thoughts Mm. on this when you consider that he's still got, you know, various investigations running against him in the background?
1: Yeah, and, you know, he's not the only one, right, uh, to, to our previous topic. So I think what's interesting is how little kind of attention this has gotten. Because of some of the issues that are being dealt with, whether it 's Ukraine or China or the budget uh, the debt debt ceiling, and you know he has a, at least one very strong challenger right now, which is Ron DeSantis, Governor of Florida, who's leading all the polls uh, on the republican side and so what what actually would surprised me about that and by the way, the Republican National Committee has gone through its own election to to choose its leader so actually, what surprised me about that wasn't that you know he, he, that he did it, but kind of how little news it made because mm-hmm. there are other things you know on uh, uh taking the headlines away so we'll see we'll see how much momentum he he drives but i think the last uh, election the midterm election we had kind of took a lot of wind out of that movement a lot of wind out of the sails of that movement when a lot of the candidates that he endorsed did not get elected so i think you know that has become although he's still going to be you know in the mix I think he's not the leader in the mix right now. And that's a, an interesting change, let's say, compared to just two years ago.
0: Mm. Uh, Dane, a couple of issues uh, or other issues I, I want to turn our attention to, of course, uh, the ongoing U.S.-China chip war. Uh, on Friday, when mm. the EU come forth to say that the U.S. has the bloc's full commitment to the goal of choking China's semiconductor industry. Honestly, it's just more yeah. statements coming out, more, more dragging out of, of this situation, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it was, you know, that was going to happen one way or the other because uh, an embargo like this, if you will, is not, cannot be successful without the allies, uh, you know, companies and allied countries aligning with the U.S., right? So, and, you know, the U.S. put a lot of pressure on Holland and Japan, particularly, and the U.K. to go along with this idea so that we can, you know, more or less holistically shut China off from this technology. So, that wasn't really unexpected. Uh, I think it gives the US what I would call if you use, you know, sports terms, a temporary advantage, a field advantage, but okay. it's not it's not a not in perpetuity, right? It gives us a temporary advantage and the question is how do you define temporary, mm-hmm. right? And and what happens to technological advancement in those sectors when you've essentially walled off the biggest consumer of that technology, mm-hmm. which is China by far. So there's a bit of an ironic piece there where you know, we, China has been attempting to develop its own homegrown industry in this space for a long time because they realize it's, it's a bit of an Achilles heel. It's their largest import category, uh, bigger than even oil, that is chips. And so, of course, the companies that supply into that sector were going gangbusters in China. Whether they're U.S. companies, Korean companies, Taiwan companies, Japan companies, Japanese companies, right? They were all it was their biggest market, and now it's been shut off essentially, except at the very, very low end of, this, of the sector. And so, that really questions how does the how does the sector evolve when you've taken away the major source of demand, the one you know, the biggest source of demand, the market, right?
0: Mm. Final issue, Dane, and very timely as well, because we are approaching a year of uh, the Russia-Ukraine war. Of course, last week we heard from the United States, you know, making a commitment to send new tanks. They have been one of the biggest voices with regard to this conflict. I mean, what can we expect moving forward? We know global supply chains are going to continue to be an issue, even though it has to be said that a lot of countries are trying to find a way around it. Uh, What's your view on this matter?
1: Yeah, so I don't think there's any any question that uh, it will continue to threaten supply chains of certain commodities, right? We we basically weaponized the energy trade, and Russia has weaponized the energy trade as a result of this, right? So the it's going to be the reverberations of this conflict are going to be continue to be felt through the energy sector for sure, and possibly through you know commodities like grain and food, depending on what happens in the Black Sea. So you could imagine a situation where Russia either says we're going to cut off all exports of energy to Europe, which is something they have not done. They've restricted, but they have not cut off all energy exports, or that they're going to no longer allow uh, Ukraine to ship grain out of the Black Sea. You can imagine what, you know, the reverberations that would go around the world, how that would impact inflation, and particularly in emerging markets where they, people tend to consume at lower levels of income, they, most of their budget goes to food and, and energy, right? So you can imagine the, the impact that would have. And that's certainly not off the table as far as, you know, future actions that might occur. This is not a conflict that's going to go away anytime soon. And so you business has to be prepared for the potential that those
0: shocks are going to, to return. All right. I've been speaking with Dane Shamara, who is partner, Global Risk and Intelligence for Control Risk. I do appreciate your time this morning. Take care and have a great day ahead. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me.